Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Right now, we're going to turn the microphone up and get ready for the dulcet tones of our dear friend, Dr. History. Here he is now in all of his radiant glory. Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. My friend. Yes. Beautiful day out there today. It's warmed right up to 37 degrees. Have you got my Christmas present yet? You haven't got it yet? No. (laughs) It's in the mail, right? It's in the mail. (laughs) As usual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. What's going on? Today. Today. We have talked about cowboys off and on over the years. Yep. And we're going to kind of go into that a little bit again today. Cowboys. Cowboys. All right, good. So, famous cowboys. He, no, just cowboys. Oh, okay. No famous. Sit by the fire. Yeah. Okay. So I, I want you to picture Zeb Remington's pictures, paintings, and Russell's. I've got Charles, many of them right here. Yeah. Uh, Frederick Remington and Charles Russell. Yep. And I'm looking at one right now. I'm going to show you real quick. This one right here. Zeb, this one. I've got that in the other room. Yeah. Yep. So, folks, we're looking at a picture, a painting of about seven or eight cowboys on a dead run, turning and shooting back and being chased by Indians. But, you know. Why is the terminology, I think, used wrong? A dead run. If you're running, how can it be a dead <laughs> it better run? better not be a dead run. Yeah. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask okay. you about that. So, the American cowboy was actually not quite so ro- as romantic as these paintings. Oh, now you're going to go and mess everything yeah, I, I up. I know, I know. I mean, actually, he was a dirty, overworked laborer who fried his brains out under a prairie sun. Oh, you're really helping the situation. Or rode endless miles in rain and wind to mend fences or look for lost calves. Yet the cowboy had a kind of a heroic image of himself as a hard-riding, fast-shooting cowboy, you know, that we see in these paintings. You better restore some of the nostalgia. I'll see what I can do. Okay. Now, some cowboys actually did shoot it out with Indians or broke wild horses and, and rope bears as they were doing in some of these paintings. Now, wait a minute. Not smart cowboys. N- no, because there's a painting of, of a cowboy roping a bear. A bear. I know there is. Yes. Yep. So, you know, but both painters, both these guys rode the trails with the cowboys and they recorded every detail of his life. So, so there's there's a lot of accuracy in these paintings. Now I'm looking at another one. I'm going to show you right here. Oh, yeah. This shows a oh, yeah. trail boss uh, herding a, a, a herd of cows, uh, and he's being uh, seen by an Indian who is demanding. And now this is near the Yellowstone River, and uh, it's 1881. A trail boss hears a Crow warrior's demand for a toll of one dollar a head, indicated as the Indian is. Lifting one finger, indicating one dollar per head. You sure that's the finger? That is the finger. I see. Before allowing the cattle to cross tribal land. 
The painting is based on a real event when the trail boss refused to pay. The Braves stampeded the herd, then took off while the Cowboys regained control of the that, herd. It, it was a bad day. It was a, not a good day for yeah, those guys. It was a bad day. Almost as bad as a, as a stampede. Yeah. But, you know, the high time of the American Cowboy lasted really only about a generation from the end of the Civil War until about the mid-1880s. So, you know, really... About 20 years, uh, you know, and by then when bad weather, poor range management and terrible cattle prices uh, forced an end to the old freewheeling days. In that brief span, the number of cowboys who rode the cattle trails across the Great Plains totaled no, no more than 40,000. And that may sound like a lot, but if you consider the entire West, that's not very many. But the aura and the personality lived on. Exactly. And most of these cowboys were very young. Uh, Average age was only 24. So they were men of a particular time and place, living by a code compounded by hard-fisted frontier desperation, performing body punishing and hazardous jobs. Now, I'm going to read something here. There's a trail driver named George Duffield, and he drove a herd of longhorns from Texas up to Iowa in 1866. Iowa? Uh, yeah, they they drove cattle all up you north, know, I, I'm anywhere. not familiar with cattle trails going up to Iowa. Yeah, okay. and, and they drove up to here, up to Idaho. Oh, yeah. Uh, in yeah. this area. So, yeah. But so it's, uh, he kept a diary of the ordeal, and uh, so I want you to picture... Here's exactly what he said, okay, from the pages of diary. Okay. Quote, upset our wagon in river and lost many of our cooking utensils. Was on my horse the whole night and it rained hard. Lost my knife. There were one of our party drowned today, Mr. Carr, and several narrow escaped, I among them. Many men in trouble. Horses all give out and men refuse to do anything. Awful night, not having had a bite to eat for 60 hours, tired, Indians very troublesome, Mm -hmm. oh, what a night, thunder, lightning, and rain, we followed our beeves all night as they wandered about, we hauled cattle out of the mud with oxen half the day, dark days are these to me, nothing but bread and coffee, hands all growling and swearing, everything wet and cold, Sick and discouraged, my back is blistered badly, I had a sick headache, bad, flies were worse than I ever saw them, weather very hot, Indians saucy, one man down with boils and one with ague, found a human skeleton on the prairie today. Well, aren't you Mr. Sunshine? <laughs> now, you know, again, when you look at the paintings of Russell and, and uh, these guys, you know, they, they paint it kind of, yeah. what, uh, romantic, I guess. And yet, uh, here's a guy that was there, and that's what how he described it. So another guy, John Bauman, was an Englishman. He came to Texas. Uh, he wanted to become a cowboy, uh-huh. become a frontiersman. I see. So he wrangled a job as a cowboy, and for his first assignment, he helped round up a herd of horses that been, had been eating loco weed. Now, I've never seen horses after they've eaten loco weed. Have you ever seen that, Zeb? I, mm, I, I don't recall if I have, yeah. no. So the effect of this plant on the animals was hallucinogenic and lethal. Some had gone into fits, some lay groaning, some foamed at the mouth, and some had fallen dead. So this uh, Mr. Bauman, he said, quote, 
having shot two horses which were unable to stand up, we rounded up our cripples and made a start for the headquarters ranch 180 miles due south. Oh, wow. In addition to being badly locoed and half-starved, the majority suffered a skin disease which eats the hair off and leaves the shivering creature exposed. Swollen running nostrils, watering eyes, and wheezing breath, three long weeks across the prairie. Every now and then a horse stumbled and fell. Generally, he was too weak to rise. As a rule, this was the beginning of the end. Several times I had given such to their quietus with a six-shooter bullet to the head. Well, you're just absolutely uh, <laughs> Mr. Smile this well, morning. it might get better. I hope. I don't know. <laughs> so here we go with another cowboy. J.L. Oh McCallum was a boy when he rode up the old Chisholm Trail to Abilene with a herd of longhorns from Texas. After helping bed down the cattle at a good grazing ground, he got permission from the trail boss to head for town. A uh, young boy, the boss let myself and another boy go to the city. Uh-oh, look out, look out. Naive, okay. The first place we visited was a saloon. Surprise. <laughs> well, imagine that. <laughs> he says, I had a $5 bill. And he goes on to say, well, I went to the dealer, put my five on the first card and won. I now had $10. So I put the two bills on the tray and won. Had now $20 and went to get a drink. Uh-oh. I went back and soon lost all I had won and my original five. And I went out, found my partner, and left for camp. <laughs> <laughs> and really, $20 at that stage back in those times probably was almost a month's wages. Oh, yeah. And he started with five, ended with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that true for all of us? Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, gambling is not a winning proposition. You got it. So about one cowboy in six uh, or seven were Mexican. A similar proportion were black. Most of the blacks have been slaves on Texas ranches. And that's where they learned how to rope and ride and were some of the best cowboys ever. And you know, in Bill a movie, Pickett. I think the movie that portrayed the life on the trail as good as any movie was the movie Lonesome Dove. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you've heard of Bill Pickett and yeah. Uh, yeah. Nate Love. Yep. Excellent, yep. excellent yep. cowboys. Uh, some of them um, had been mustered out of the Union as soldiers. Some That were some cowboys. Uh, some of them were former rebels. A few actually were sailors that left their ships and decided to try being a cowboy. Yeah. So, but Europe, Europe contributed uh, some of the poor immigrant peasants, uh, Englishmen known as remittance men. And I'd never heard this term. I've before. never heard that. But these were what they call the ne'er do well offspring of titled families in England. So what you're talking about is those snobs. Right. Okay. Their kids. Okay. The families banished them to the plains with regular remittances. In other words, they got some money. Everybody. They got money to be out yeah. away from the family. And the goal was to stay until they either disappeared or straightened up. Or returned home. What a nice family situation at Christmas time. You know, just go to America. If you come back, fine. If you don't, get out of my hair. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) So Teddy Roosevelt, you know, he went to North Dakota to learn to rope and ride. And among cowboys, a college degree was unheard of. Among cowboys, the more common educational level was reflected in the remark of a Texas born boy who said, quote, 
Well, when I got so I could draw a cow and mark a few brands on the slate, I figured I was getting too smart to stay in school. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, and but, the way things are today, he was a lot smarter than the professors. Yeah, probably. Yes. You know, other figures were the drifters who spent their time in the West as rangeland beggars. Rangeland Ra- beggars. I was going to say, I'd never heard of rangeland. Yeah, but. well, just pay attention. Okay. <laughs> They re- they regularly took advantage of the Western custom of offering food and tobacco to anyone who happened to show up at the ranch. I see. That was just the courtesy. Yeah. You know, if you showed was. up, you got fed. Yeah. You know. Now, and there were the men who were on the run from the law, untraceable aliases as Bronco Jim or Wyoming Pete. And it was easy for these characters to stay lost in cattle country because among cowboys, close inquiry about a man's past was considered discourteous. We ought to do a segment on all the nicknames. <laughs> that would be fun, wouldn't oh it? Oh, my goodness. So it was ill-mannered to ask somebody his name. Yeah. It was, you know, Buffalo Pete or Bronco yeah. Jim or Wyoming, whatever. So now the term cowboy, and I think we have talked about this at one time, mm-hmm. how that came about is a little bit uncertain. I see. We're not really sure. But in the Revolutionary War, it was applied to armed Tories who tinkled cowbells to lure farmer patriots with lost cows into the brush, where the Tories ambushed them and killed them. Later, the name referred to Texas bandits who stole cattle from the Mexicans. Only after the Civil War did the term come to signify anyone who tended cattle in the West. Wow. So... I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, it wasn't always um, referred to as a a, a cowboy out west. A a good name. Right, exactly. Now, there's um, a couple of generations of cowboys that uh, I hadn't thought about. The the methods of working cattle could entail um, a lot of activities, uh, styles and techniques, depending on when and where in the Old West. A man happened to live. Now, this is the first generation of okay. cowboys. All right. In the 1860s, the duties of a Texas cowboy, uh, dressed only in the dilapidated remnants of a Confederate uniform, army-issued marching boots, and a floppy woolen hat, uh, he might be uh, to round up and drive half-wild longhorns a thousand miles to market across the unfenced and basically the open range across the prairie. Now, 30 years later in Montana, there was a second generation cowboy. And I had never thought of this before. Now they were wearing the standardized outfit of Levi's, high heel boots, uh, Stetson, uh, who'd spend most of his days mowing hay or helping to breed a rancher's prized shorthorns. Sometimes a cowboy's work even took him away from cattle for a while. In winter, he might collect firewood or go bounty hunting for wolves. In fact, many cowboys did not work at all during the winter months. Since the ranchers laid off more than half their help when the warm weather roundups and cattle drives were not underway. So wintertime, they didn't really have a job. You know, so many people have a misconception about cowboys and uh, what they wore, how they wore it, or what they did. And there are some really good Hollywood uh, movies and TV series that really showed it very well. Remember the old TV series Rawhide? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. They were very realistic in what and, they and did. And I know there are some movie stars, uh, I can't remember their names, that are very uh, specific. Well, Tom, uh, Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. Yeah. He wants everything to be exactly yeah. historically accurate. You know how you can tell? Look, and I'll give you a little clue here. Watch the old TV show Rawhide, and it's on Saturday mornings right now on the Cowboy Channel. And you can tell what side was always the slicker tied longer on the saddle. What side did they always hang the, the slicker longer I'm on? I'm going to say on the right side. No. No, no. left side. Always on the left side. You know why? Because they didn't want to hook a spur in that slicker on the right side, getting oh, off and get bucked off. off. Yeah. Getting okay. on, they could th- swing their leg over it. That makes sense. Look for this stuff in movies. Okay. I'll teach you, man. Uh, I'll teach you. you. So... You know, like say these cowboys were laid off in the in the winter time uh, during the off season. They might batch up with some of the cowboys, with friends in town, and do odd jobs like even going painting houses. Oh my! Yet as long as he called himself a cowboy, which the average man did for only about seven years before settling down for good and maybe owning his own ranch, his life centered on those creatures he referred to as cow cows. Yeah, that was his life. Yeah. But the approximate midpoint, and in many ways, the zenith of the cowboy era was about 1876. <clears throat> but, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, folks. Are you, are you going to live? I'm, I'm going to make it. Okay. Allergic to cows, huh? <laughs> so, you know, talking about how what they wore, you know, uh, fully outfitted for work on the range, the cowboy was covered from head to foot in a protective costume that identified him, but every item of dress had a purpose, you know, from his spurs to his boots to his hat, uh, everything. Uh, the cowhand was dressed like uh, any other laborer. He normally wore long johns unless it was too hot. His shirt was typically collarless and made of cotton or flannel. His wool and pants were sometimes fortified with buckskin over the seat and the knees. Mm-hmm. Uh, he rarely used suspenders because uh, they bothered him. He wore a belt. Uh, he was a rodeo rider hanking to show off his fancy belt buckle, which, you know, uh, even today, you know, when a guy wins a belt buckle, he's going to wear it. That's right. right. Uh, anyway, uh you always had a little bull Durham in the back pocket. You could see it. What you're talking about is exactly the movie that was produced twice. And that was Monty Walsh. And it starred the first time Lee Marvin and oh. second time, better time, Tom Selleck. Oh, okay. But, you know, in the Southwest, a lot of ranch hands wore heavy canvas-like jackets yep. to protect themselves from thorns. Northern cowboys had knee-length fur-lined overcoats. Uh, some men wore buckskin gauntlets to protect their hands from rope burns or from blisters. Uh, there was one item, however, that everyone wore, and that was the hat. Along with saddle and boots, the hat was the cowboy's proudest, most personal possession. Besides warding off everything from hailstones to low-lying branches, it could be used to fan a fire, to carry water. A cowboy so hated to be without his hat that Western etiquette allowed him to wear it even when he sat down to a meal indoors or while he was hopping around the dance floor, which wasn't always a pretty sight. Yeah. Sometimes he even wore his hat to bed. Yeah. J.B. Stetson. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, shafts were, uh, of course, seatless coverings first used by vaqueros who had to hunt cattle in heavy brush. Uh, cowhands found they were also good uh, protection against rope burns and even horse bites. 
uh, they came in several styles. There, uh, there were the climb-in models that they were called shotguns. They buckled at the waist. Many riders came to prefer the batwing shafts mm-hmm. with wraparound legs that fastened at the back. Yeah. And on the cold northern ranges, cowboys pulled on woolies. The Angoras. Wintertime yeah. shafts covered yep. in the front with wool or sometimes with fur. Yep. So, uh, you know, right there, though, and we've only got a minute left, but uh, the footwear absolutely amazes me that most of the cowboys in the Northwest didn't freeze their feet off. Yeah. And in fact, I've got some pictures here that talks about the boots. They started with what they called the early boot, which was fairly simple. Yeah. Then they went to a, what they called a cowboy heel and then a mule ear. And then a fancy. Yeah. And then, of course, the spurs. Those were uh, a big range of, of, you know, different kinds and styles, yeah. Yeah. depending on the what the, what they wanted. So yeah, Let's do another story on that next week. I've got this book. You know, I told you I've got a whole bunch of Let me of see these. that book. I, I think I've the, got that, too, the Time Life series. Yeah, I've got. I They're excellent. ended up with the whole complete series. I got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them right behind you there on that bookshelf. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're great. They are phenomenal and very well done. And you can trust the information, too. Yeah. Wow. See, now put your bat wing chaps on and, <laughs> and get, get outside home. and go to work. Okay.